This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you, once again as we come to your psalm, we just pray that we will be able to uh, open our minds and our hearts to the message that you're sending to us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, what is the opposite of fear? Oh, am I speaking too soft, loudly? Okay. Uh, what is the opposite of fear? Uh, I think the opposite of fear is uh, confidence, right? What is the opposite of despair? Uh, trust. What is the opposite of uncertainty? Okay, well, that was easy, uncertainty, right? Now, fear, despair, uncertainty, I, I believe that these are all emotions that at one time or another, we as Christians will struggle through. I want you to imagine tomorrow. You see a doctor, and the doctor diagnoses you with a terminal cancer. Or you're involved in some accident, and you find out you're paralyzed. Or you have a child, and you realize the child is born with a birth defect. Or a close relative dies very suddenly. How would you feel? You'd feel fear, despair, uncertainty. And these are very normal. Right? These are very normal. I think it would be very abnormal if, you know, if these things happen to you and life continued on as normal and you felt just the same, you know, you just ended up feeling the next morning like you did the day before. Now, for many people who've been through those situations, which part of the Bible do they turn to when they experience these things? Well, they don't turn to Revelation or Genesis or the book of Romans. Many people turn to the book of Psalm. So uh, this is one of the books that... Um, it's up here, Therese. One of the books that, uh, that people read, or I give away anyway, when they struggle with their faith and they feel fear, uncertainty and despair. But Psalms as a devotional book has much to recommend for itself. And today we're looking at Psalm 23. And of all the Psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23 is actually one of the most often referred to during times of despair. So you'll, you'll read Psalm 23, and not the NIV, the latest NIV version, but the older version, right, as we sung. And you'll read it in obituaries, you'll see it at funerals, and it's read at a hospital, right, because it's just so vivid, the images. So the first image that we see in Psalm 23, verse 1, is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Now, uh, I think this is much better than the new NIV, which says, no, I like nothing. Okay, Because I think that whoever translated the, the new NIV, Psalm 23, lacks the poetic edge, right? Okay, So, you know, it's like the, the image here is of God as a shepherd. But not just a shepherd. It doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. It is the Lord is my shepherd. He watches over me personally. He cares for me. He protects me. And therefore, I shall not be in want. I will lack nothing. I will never be in need. I shall not be in want. And here, there are four things that God as my shepherd does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside 
quiet waters. He restores my soul and He guides me in paths of righteousness. Now here we see in verse 2 the KPI for a good shepherd, right? Because the normal shepherd, what is his role? His role is to bring the sheep from the from the pen out into the fields where they will have green pastures. But why doesn't it just say the Lord provides food? Uh, I think that it's because the images that we see here in Psalm 23 require imagination and that imagination is meant to make us feel things. You see, I remember once, and I won't tell you who it is in my family who said this because you know, I don't embarrass them. But we were listening to this song on the radio which says, you know, don't make my brown eyes blue. Have you ever heard that song before? It's by Linda Ronstadt, right? It's like, don't make my brown eyes blue. So this person said to me, how is that possible? How can you make brown eyes blue? Right? Are they wearing contact lenses? Right? Obviously not, right? It's an image. Don't make my, my brown eyes blue means don't make me feel sad. Don't make me feel blue. Right? Not blue as in Nick's shirt. It's blue means blue as in mood. And that is the, you know, the poetic and the emotive power of the image. So we're meant to see images like this, right? So when it says God leads me, my shepherd God leads me, lie down in green pastures. This is the image that we're meant to have. An image of rest, abundant food, peace, quiet, and security. This is the shepherd that we have who then also leads me beside quiet waters. Not just waters, but quiet waters. A place of peace, a place of refreshment, a place where I'm safe, where there are no threats, there are no lions, wolves, or predators. And these two images... Quiet waters, green pastures. We can connect with them in the world that we live in because we live in a world of turmoil, right? It's like you look at the newspaper, you read the newspaper, you see this threat of war, you see this threat of terrorism, there's a threat of economic turmoil, there's a threat of political crisis. And you can identify with green pastures and quiet waters. Now as we look at Psalm 23, God is not saying that He is going to grant you these quiet waters and green pastures because He's going to make you very rich and you can, you can rest in your penthouse in Sentosa Cove enjoying your green pastures and your quiet waters. Because in verse 3, it says, My shepherd restores my soul. Now, here we see that this shepherd is a divine shepherd, is a godly shepherd. He's a supernatural shepherd because he doesn't do what a normal shepherd does. You know, because the, the normal shepherd doesn't refresh or restore the soul of the sheep. That's not why the KPI of the shepherd, right? He doesn't care about the soul of the sheep. But here, the divine Lord Shepherd restores my soul. He restores my soul because he guides me in paths of righteousness. So one of the important things, oh, hey, you a bit behind all the pictures, huh? Gotta keep going forward. There's some more. Some more. Ah, okay. So the shepherd guides the sheep. And often in the Middle East or whatever, when there's mountainous regions, 
the shepherd will guide the sheep through difficult terrain. So that, you know, when they're making their way towards the green pastures or the quiet waters, they have to go through difficult terrain. And then when they come back, they go through difficult terrain again. But here, the divine Lord God, supernatural shepherd, doesn't guide his sheep in the path towards like a mountainous trail, but he leads them and guides his sheep in paths of righteousness. Now, in Proverbs chapter 11, it says, The righteousness of the blameless make a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. Here in Psalms, what God is really saying is that as a shepherd, he will guide his sheep in paths of righteousness so that they will not fall into the pit of judgment. They will not fall into the pit of hell. And that's why when you read verse 3, when he restores my soul, he's not talking about a psychological, emotional restoration as in God makes me feel better. You know, I I feel better now. I feel better about myself. I I feel uplifted emotionally. He's not some, uh, you know, God is not giving you some emotional, um, what's the pill that you use to feel better? Prozac or something, right? Okay, so God is not giving you some emotional Prozac. He's actually in a physical, in a real way, reviving your soul, refreshing your soul because he leads you on a path of righteousness. And on that path of righteousness, you will find your way to life. Now, the strange thing comes at the end of verse 3. He does all these things, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, that's a really shocking thing. And it, it sort of hits us where it matters, right? Our ego. Because he's saying that God does all these things for us, not because we are special, not because we have done something to deserve God's leading of us as shepherd, but he does it for his own sake. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, if you are following our Bible overview, it, it kind of matches exactly Psalm 23, exactly. So maybe there's some God's planning here, right? God's timing here. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name which you have profaned among them. But the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I'll take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will make you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Now you notice here what God is saying. He is saying that he is not leading us as a shepherd because of us. He's doing it because of him, himself. He's doing it because of his own name 
as a holy God, as a loving God, as a faithful God to His promises. Now, as we look at this passage, in the light of Jesus Christ, the path of righteousness is very clear. God leads us on the path of righteousness for two, in two ways, right? One is that we are on the path of righteousness because when Jesus dies, Jesus gives us imputed righteousness or credited righteousness or counted righteousness. And therefore we are now righteous. We are on the path of righteousness because Jesus has died for us and we've put our faith in Jesus. We are also on the path of righteousness because the Holy Spirit in us guides us, as we see in Ezekiel, to want to obey God. Now this is very important because when we look at this, we see that as Christians, and only Christians as we read Psalm 23 can really appreciate it, we are able to go through the darkest times of life because God is our shepherd. And when he leads us to green pastures and quiet waters, these are not just pictures to make us feel good about ourselves, but these are realities. The quiet waters and the green pastures are realities which we experience, we will experience, because God leads us in paths of righteousness. And he restores our soul in a real way, not just in an emotional way. This is not just to feel good. Now, in verse 1 to 3, it's all about God, right? God did this, God did this, God did that. Then verse 4 is about what we, through the psalmist, do. Even though I walk through the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now here is where I like the imagery of um, the old NIV translation, right? Because you know the new NIV says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, right? doesn't have that kick, right? It's like, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, ah, that's an image that you can picture in your mind, right? It's like, that's what happens, right? When you are dying, it's like walking through a valley in the shadow of death. So what the psalmist is saying here is, when God is my shepherd, even if I walk through the darkest valley, and death is the darkest valley, I will not fear. I will not fear any evil. Sure, you have many other valleys of darkness, right? Valleys of darkness, of unemployment, of failed business ventures, or broken relationships, or broken dreams. But the valley of the shadow of death, that is the darkest valley. That is the valley that we all fear. So I remember uh, the movie Interstellar. Right? Do, you, do you remember the movie Interstellar? Do you all watch Interstellar? Huh? You all don't watch Interstellar. Okay, during the third service, we should watch one day. Okay, okay, okay. Or maybe you come to my house, I got a DVD. You all know what DVDs are, right? Okay, okay, right. Okay, so in the movie, anyway, this wouldn't spoil the ending, so you can, you can watch this, right? Okay, so, next slide. The key, the key, uh, the key theme, okay, or the key person, he says, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, Rage against the dying of the light. Okay, because you know, the whole of humanity is under the threat of death, right? So, it's like, you know, you must fight death. You must not, you must rage against darkness. Don't go gentle into the darkness. You must fight death. And this is a human response to death. The human response to death is, is anger, fear, uncertainty. 
But the Christian response to death is, I will fear no evil. Because you know that God, your shepherd, has put you on the path of righteousness. He restores your soul in a real way. So I remember someone once said before, and I can't remember, I was looking for it. It's some uh, During the olden times when the martyrs used to die, uh, this guy says, you know, see how the Christians die. See how the Christians die. Because the way the Christians died was very different from how the non-Christians died. So it goes on to say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, God, my shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So because God is with me, and because he's my shepherd, so apparently in the olden days, uh, the shepherd carries two things, right? It's like he carries a staff, and he carries like a, uh, you know what the police carry? The baton, right? So like he carries a baton, not the twirling baton, but the fighting baton, and the, and the stick, right? So actually the Lord of the Rings, right? He should actually be carrying two, not one, right? Because you know, one for the magic and one for the fighting. But it doesn't matter, right? So the rod is meant for guidance, Right. And one, the, sorry, the staff is meant for guidance and the rod is actually meant to hit things, right? So he's saying God is with me and he's protecting me with his rod and he's guiding me with his staff. So then if God is with me, even though I suffer setbacks in life, even though I face disappointment in the darkness, I can still go on. You know, when people suffer setbacks in life, what do they say? Like I gave you the examples in the introduction, right? When, when you have, let's say tomorrow someone diagnoses you with te- terminal cancer or you become paralyzed because you have an accident or your, someone dies suddenly. The question that you ask is, where is God? Does God care for me? Has God forgotten me? But the psalmist says that he does not fear because God is with me and your rod is with me. God cares for me, He's protecting me, and my staff, your staff is with me, you're guiding me. Now, I remember there was this uh, scientist called Francis Collins, you look up here. Uh, apparently, he's one of the most prominent scientists in the whole world, this guy called Francis Collins. And uh, he is in charge of the Human uh, Genome Project. So, the Human Genome is to map the DNA structure of the whole human body, which is supposedly like a chain of DNA sequences, like millions or something. It's just impossibly long, right? So uh, even um, Bill Clinton was saying that the, the human genome map, right, is one of the most amazing maps in the world. Anyway, so this guy, Francis Collins, became a Christian after he became a scientist, right? So he became a scientist first, then he became a Christian second. And one of the reasons why he started investigating about Christianity was, and you can find it in his own uh, writing, he's written a book about it, was that he noticed that as a doctor, as a scientist, the faith of Christians led them to die differently than non-Christians. And he wanted to know why is it that Christians face death so differently 
than non-Christians. And that led to him investigating about Christianity. And in the end, he became a Christian. So as we look at this passage, we see that we do not need to fear death because the Lord God is my shepherd. And he leads me to quiet waters, to green pastures. He is with me, guiding me, protecting me. And he is with me, refreshing my soul itself. Now in verse 5, the image changes. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now if the image of verse 1 to 4 is the Lord is my shepherd, then the image of verse 5 is the Lord is a host of a dinner. Now, uh, I, I didn't I didn't put out any pictures of uh, dinners, right? But when I think of my own self, the, the most important milestones every year for my family used to be Chinese New Year dinner and Christmas lunch. Because those were the times where the whole family came together and it was a great feast, right? It was a great gathering. So the picture of the Lord as a host preparing a great dinner for his people is one of friendship, of family, of unity. It's not just about food, okay? It's not just about food. It's very easy to think about food. It's not just about food. It's a picture of, of family. But, but why does he say he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies? Why, why does he talk about my enemies here? Well, I think there are two ways to understand it. One is that it's sort of saying that these were the enemies who were preventing me from putting my trust in God. Or maybe these were the enemies who were making me walk in the valley of the shadow of death. These were the enemies who were you know, opposing me. But on the last day, there will be vindication because these enemies will see me together with God and they'll see me together with God in an eternal relationship with God. Then That's such a great comfort to me because it means that it doesn't matter who your enemies are, how powerful they are, that you, you don't need to fear them because on the last day, these enemies will see you together with God and know for certain that in eternity, God was protecting you and God has fulfilled His promise of protecting you to be with Him forever. So no matter what enemies you face, it doesn't matter because these enemies at the last day will see you at the great banquet with God. Now it goes on to say that God anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, this idea of anointing your head with oil is obviously something very alien to us in modern day, right? I mean, I don't even think we anoint our head of oil, right? Maybe you put a bit of gel, that's about it. But in the world of the ancient Middle East, the air is very dry and it's very dusty. So one of the problems is you get a lot of cracked skin, right? Not good for your complexion, no? Very humid in Singapore, very dry in the Middle East. Okay, right, we understand the difference. So one of the practices is apparently in the Middle East, when you come for a meal, they will give you some oil. I guess they don't have moisturizer then, right? or Nivea or something. So they give you oil. Huh? Don't know whether you use cooking oil or what. But anyway, you put the oil on your face or whatever, so it refreshes you. Lah. It refreshes you. So uh, in Luke chapter 7, uh, obviously they were still practicing this thing during this time. right? Jesus said, 
and turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not have any water for my feet. So obviously in those days as well, it's very dusty, right? And they don't have clothes, shoes and socks. They wear sandals. So you, you know, you have water to wash the feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. I mean, nowadays we shake hands when people come here. Right? This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So obviously in the olden days, a good host, someone who is genuine and who cares for you, will give you water right, to wash your feet. They will greet you a kiss on the cheek and then they will give you oil so that uh, you know you are, your moisturizer would, 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 would kind of like wouldn't make you feel so dry like your skin. Right? Now, we do understand the image of my cup overflows, right? So it's a picture of um, abundance and generosity. I remember when I was um, a boarding school student in Australia, I used to visit this uh, family very regularly in my first few years. The problem with this family, I always remember, so I was about... 13 or 14 years. So if I can remember it now, you can imagine it left an impact on me. So when I went to this person's house very often, they never had enough food. And they never have enough cordial. Right? So I always remember that because, you know, when you're young, you're always very hungry, right? So uh, you always felt that, you know, I left the meal very hungry. And I always felt that, like, why isn't there more cordial, right? Because I guess like, when Ruo grows up to become a teenager, he'll eat a lot and drink a lot, right? So... It's like, every time I went there, I was like, how come the, there's not enough food and you only give me one jug of cordial for the whole, you know, for the t- table and that's it. And the message that you sort of get is, ah, these guys are just stingy. Lah. You know, they didn't really give me enough food and they didn't give me enough cordial. But God is not like that, right? God, when He invites you and He's the host of the meal, your cup overflows. Uh, I, pre- I presume it's an image of, uh, you know, like some people when they invite you out and then they've got expensive wine, uh, you know, they don't want to give you too much wine, so they like fill it up a little bit at a time. So it's that sort of idea there. But God is not like that. God is a generous God. He doesn't just invite you to His place and then sort of give you a short change you on the meal. He gives you abundance in terms of food. But here the picture, as we said before, is not one of food, right? We don't want to focus on the food. But in verse 6, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the food is just a meal. But the meal symbolizes the relationship that God has with His people. You know, you think about it. When you have these big, big expensive meals at your house, you don't invite your enemies to come for dinner. I mean, think about it. If you were to invite people to your house for a meal, do you invite your enemies? Unless it's your boss, right? But, but you know, generally you invite your friends to come to your house for a meal, right? You don't invite your enemies to a meal. So God is saying, hey, look, when I invite you to the meal, I'm going to be really generous to you. And, and, and it's a symbol, a, a, a picture of, of love and goodness. And when the meal ends, that love and goodness doesn't disappear. It continues on. That's why it says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. But not just all the days of my life, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And here, we see the picture of the host match with the picture of the shepherd. Because with the shepherd, he leads me on path of righteousness. He revives my soul for eternal life. And here, we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord Shepherd and the Lord Host are both images of God watching over you to eternity. Now I want you to notice something very interesting, right? If you look at the slide up here, the or oh, the next one, the oh, I already give this quote. It's okay, next one, the I will one. Ah, yeah. So you notice that actually the the Psalm has three I wills. So you look very carefully, right? You say you see. Um, I will, eh? Oh, the, 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 the new NIV doesn't have it. But anyway, look at the old one, right? So it says, I will not be in want. I will not fear. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think that these three things are the key of all the images, right? You know, green pastures, quiet waters, this great banquet, cup overflowing. Because if God is my shepherd and the God is my host, He invites me to this heavenly banquet, He invites me to this green pastures, He invites me to quiet waters. I will not be in want, I will be with God forever. Therefore, I will not fear. I will not fear this life, I will not fear death, I will not kiasu, kiasi, right? And for the Christian, that's how we achieve true peace, true confidence and true certainty. You see, the world only offers escapism, complacency and despair. So, I was talking to someone recently, and uh, he, he plays a lot of golf. And he was saying, you know, recently a lot of his friends have, have ex- experienced heart attack and stroke. So, he said, you know, when he realized all his friends were experiencing heart attack and stroke, it made him want to play more golf. Now, you see, that doesn't solve the problem, right? I mean, if people are having heart attack and stroke, well, maybe if you play more golf, you, you live longer. But that doesn't really solve the problem of death. It's just escapism, right? It's the same as watching, I better, better watch more, more movies, right? People are having more heart attacks and uh, having stroke. Or not. I better um, eat more chakwetiao or something. But, God doesn't give us escapism. He gives us a solution. The solution is God is our shepherd. He guides us onto paths of righteousness. He revives my soul. God is my host. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now what the psalmist knew as Christians we know even better because Jesus has come, he's died and he's risen again. And he tells us, and he gives us a witness, that what the psalmist promises is true. So like today, uh, Ro gave a talk on the, the Reformation. He said, you know, there are two evidences, two lights. So here we have the light of Psalm 23, and here we have the light of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, the next slide, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 
The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So here is Jesus and he tells us before he dies, he is going to lay down his life. He has authority to lay down his life, but he has authority to take it up again. Through the witness of Jesus, we know that that is what is going to happen to us as well. Jesus, our shepherd, watches over us, cares for us, and he has the ability to take up our lives to give us eternal life forever. Now because of that, it gives us confidence when we have fear. It helps us to have certainty when we have uncertainty. And it helps us to have trust when there's despair. Because Psalm 23 gives us those very powerful visual images of what the shepherd, God, the supernatural divine shepherd is doing for us. And what God, the host, is doing for us. And how this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.com.